I think too many Christians have allowed Satan to get into our heads and to trash talk us, to get us off our game. And he's sown seeds in our minds and, and filled our heads with stuff that he absolutely can't do. We give him more power and more authority over us than he really has. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring nationally known Bible teacher and author Crawford Lorenz. Crawford has spent most of his life in church and organizational ministry with a goal of encouraging and shaping the next generation of leaders. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, you understand that there's an enemy of your soul, Satan. He and his demons are aware of you. They know your weaknesses and will exploit them to distract you from becoming what God wants you to be. Make no mistake, Satan's power is great and it continues to wreak havoc on weak areas of the church. But there are some things Satan can't do, and the more we understand that, the less impact he will have. Crawford's been leading us through a series called Unmasking Satan, and in a moment, the first part of Crawford's message, Winning the Battle. Hope you can stay right there. Our text will be 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Today, Crawford will begin to answer three basic questions about spiritual warfare strategy. What do we need to know? Our prayer is that by knowing Satan's limitations, you'll be encouraged by the tremendous power our Savior possesses, power that will ultimately destroy Satan and evil. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Well, we're in this series on unmasking Satan. This is the third and final installment in the series. Um, I want to make a statement right now that hopefully doesn't come across as self-serving. Uh, I, if I had my way, what I would have preferred to do, and I couldn't do this, but what I would have preferred to do, rather than stringing these ser this series out in three separate messages, I would have preferred in an ideal wor world to have an all-day type of seminar or whatever and gone through it at one piece. Because I do think th they're connected. I say that a lot about other series, but particularly this series, these three messages, they are connected, they're connected. And, uh, and it's important for us to get a right understanding on who our enemy is, what our victory is in Christ, and how do we win the battle. And those are the three messages. In fact, the, the third one is how do we win the battle. Um, terribly, terribly important. There's a lot of confusion about the role of Satan and the role of demons and, and, and all of this, and we need to have a balanced, clear approach to these things. The devil wants us to be obsessed with him. He really does. He, he loves it when we are obsessed with him. He loves it when we ignore him. Uh, he loves it when we give him more power than he really does have. And yet at the same time, he loves it when we, don't, we just sort of say, oh, you know, it's not that bad. In the first message I talked about, you know, the scouting report on Satan. Who is he? Who is he? He's a powerful being. He's the highest of all archangels. He's the anointed cherub that covereth. Uh, he was kicked out of heaven. But what does he want to do? Well, there's no big secret. The devil is not just walking around like you see in these cartoons when some little red jumpsuit sticking you with a pitchfork in your backside. That's not, that, you know, or even some of these horror flicks and this kind of thing. The devil's strategy is a lot more lofty than we might think. The devil's strategy is to replace God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to replace God. And he is the personification of evil. That's exactly who he is. He is the personification of evil. And then secondly, he's on a relentless pursuit to oppose righteousness wherever it is. 
But as I shared last week, part of my frustration in some of the discussions on the devil and demons and uh, all things supernatural is that although we, get, we wink at our victory in Christ, we get, and we do this when our victory in Christ, we so elevate the discussion of the dark side of the, dev, the devil and all that he can do and all the demons and all this other kind of thing that, that we do not appreciate the victory that has been secured for us in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to come back to this in a moment. And so I decided last week to talk about our victorious Savior. I had a problem with content last week. Not that I didn't have another. I had the other problem with it. That there's just too much to talk about. And in the New Testament, whenever the writers of the New Testament talk about devils and demons, they always speak, of, uh, particularly to believers, they always speak to it from the vantage point of victory. They speak to it from victory, not from defeat, but the fact that we can and he has overcome. And we looked at those three instances in the life of our Savior where he demonstrated his powerful victory over the enemy. In the wilderness, right? Before demons. And then at the resurrection. And we learned three things. One, in the wilderness is the power of truth. Before demons is the power of his presence. And as, at the resurrection is the power of his resurrection. And we stand in that resurrection power. That's not just one off. It's not just Jesus' resurrection. But according to Romans chapter 6 verse 4, we walk in that newness of life that's been secured by the resurrection. And so that same power that overcame the enemy... As Paul taunts the devil in the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, oh, where's your sting? Where's your victory? That power belongs to us. We need to understand that we're in Christ, and he has won that victory, and we stand in victory. That doesn't mean that we can't, the devil won't hunt us down and do some very terrible things. And so today, I want to answer three basic questions as we talk about the strategy of the wicked one. It's all around warfare. In fact, uh, those of you who are familiar with the military will, will readily understand or realize that back in July, of, July 1st, 1946, the National War College was established in Washington, D.C., and the purpose of the National War College, right after World War II, uh, the brain trust of our country realized you know, the First World War was a war to end all wars. Well, it didn't end all wars. And they began to realize that uh, as long as human history is around, there's going to be battles, there's going to be warfare and this kind of thing. And so they came up with the National War College to train and to talk about strategies of winning war and to study it. Virtually every flag officer at the Pentagon, every general officer has gone through the National War College because they realize it's vital and you've got to continue to think strategically about winning battles. By the way, I'll just say this right now. This is a great paradox in the Christian life. You can't have peace in the Christian life without fighting. It's a great paradox. You won't have peace in your walk with God without engaging in a fight. If you refuse to fight, you'll never have peace. That's just a grand paradox. The Bible teaches us that this itself is our war college. And that all of human history is a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And there's always a struggle, there's always a battle, there's always something that the enemy's trying to do. And I want to just say this to all of us right here. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, we're all going to be attacked by the enemy, particularly believers. 
Every last one of us. I don't care if you don't want to be attacked. I don't care if you don't, no, no that, that ain't for me. You not wanting it is like saying that I don't want to die. Well, you're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, you cannot want it or you want to. So it is with spiritual warfare. It's not a matter of whether or not we want to be attacked by the enemy. The reality is that we all will be attacked by the enemy, every last one of us. And the question is, are we ready? Are we thinking strategically? And again, not to be obsessed with all things demonic. I think there's a little bit too much of that, quite frankly. But we need to be prepared. So having said that, back to these three questions. I want to highlight our strategy by answering these three questions today. And I tell you ahead of time, I struggle in my preparation because this actually should be two or three different other messages, but I want to put it all together here. So hang in there with me. I'm a little bit listy today. There are three questions, three big questions I want to answer. And these are fundamental questions that the Bible answers directly concerning our battle and winning the war. The first question is this, what can't Satan do to us? The second question is, what can Satan and demons do to us? And the third question is, how do we win the battle? What is God's strategy for winning the battle? What can demons and Satan do to us? But first of all, what can't demons and Satan do to us? The first question is, what can't demons and Satan do to us? One of the things that you, you know, whether if you're, if you're playing any game, you know, sports or this kind of thing, you, 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 it's, not, it's not just good enough to know what your opponent can do. You have to understand their limitations, what they can't do, what they can't do. And I think too many Christians have allowed Satan to get into our heads and to trash talk us, to get us off our game. And he's, he's sown seeds in our minds and, and filled our heads with stuff that he absolutely can't do. And I find some Christians playing into this, assuming that Satan, we give him more power and more authority over us than he really has. Now, I'm going to say something in a few minutes in terms of what he can do, and he can do some pretty awful, terrible things. Don't get me wrong. But there's some things that he can't do. And there's a, there's, there's a number of them, but there are two big things that Satan can, and his demons cannot do. The first thing is that Satan and his demons can't take away our salvation. They can't do it. They cannot take away our salvation. There's a truckload of texts that I could give you, but two very dominant ones. Um, it's, it's number one, uh, John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus is speaking. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Now, notice the universal. And whoever comes to me, and whoever comes to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, I will never, I will never cast out. Ever. That's not a conditional promise. It's a stated reality. And the reason is that your salvation and my salvation doesn't depend upon us. The only human response to God is belief and repentance, to turn from our sin and to trust him as our Savior and Lord. The moment we did that, our salvation is sealed. You can't take it away from you. Your behavior can't take it away from you. The devil can't take it away from you. Demons can't take it away from you because your salvation is an act of God. And God is not going to allow the enemy to snatch away that which he has initiated. 
So Jesus says again over in John chapter 10, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. It can't happen. And for those of you who struggle with the assurance of your salvation, sometimes we struggle with the assurance of our salvation because we think that our salvation rests more upon us than it does God. You didn't give yourself salvation. If you have sincerely turned to Jesus and trusted him as your Savior and Lord, it's a done deal. We're kept by the very power of God. And what's in God's hands cannot be taken away from him. No demon in hell, no devil in this life, no set of circumstances can take away our eternal salvation. So the devil or demons cannot take away our salvation. The second thing that the devil and demons cannot do. Now, to some, this is a tad bit controversial, but after reading and studying the scriptures now for more than 50 years, particularly in these areas, I've come to the strong conclusion that the Bible teaches very clearly that demons and the devil and demons cannot possess us. You cannot be possessed. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed by demons or by the devil. I'm going to say some things a little later on here, but hang in there. By possess, I mean that the demons cannot be inside of us. There's a bunch of theology that supports this, a bunch of scriptures that support this, but I'll just give you two top line. One is that great text, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. Now I can push this more often, I started to go down this pipe because there is just a truckload of statements. Uh, um, the, the whole idea of the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling all of us as believers. Paul says in Ephesians chapter one that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that we cannot be controlled or possessed by demons. Some suggest, well, because we're uh, those who believe in trichotomy, that we're three parts, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit, uh, they would suggest, no, that's true, you come to Jesus and your soul cannot be controlled, but your spirit can be possessed by demons. Well, I have a problem with that, and my major problem with that is how Paul uses the term body. Both in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the apostle Paul uses the term body not to segment that away from the other parts, the immaterial part of us, but he always uses that in context to talk about the visible, outward representation and summary of everything that we are, everything that we'll ever hope to be, and all that is inside of us. And so what he's saying is that when the Spirit of God comes in you, demons cannot be there too. And by the way, this goes with what we said last week, that it is the person of Christ that is formed inside of us. And wherever Jesus is, there's the power of truth. And where Jesus is, demons worship and they cannot stay. He torments them. Now, 
I know I'm getting a little granular here, but I do, I, I, wanna, I wanna speak to this some more in order to give us some hope and understand what the enemy cannot do to us, what demons cannot do to you. Can't do this to me. In the gospel, there's a specific word used to identify those who have been controlled by demons. And it's actually transliterated, it's the Greek word, Daimonitsomai, daimonitsomai, transliterated, it means demonized. We say demonized. Well, I want to make a few observations about this word. Three, three big ones. Number one is this, and I've studied the usages of these words, particularly in the Gospels, when, when Jesus uses this expression. Number one, whenever the, this word is used, it does not just refer to demonic activity. It refers to a demon or demons dwelling in a person. So to, to take the word and say that, that it can be used of Christians being demonized is probably not the best application. Whenever Jesus uses, in, in the context, whenever he said someone was demonized, he literally was referring to the fact that the, that the demons were inside of the person. So to say that someone's demonized, if you want to use it in the way that is used in the Gospels and the encounters that Jesus had with demons, you're saying that the person is literally possessed by demons. Demons are in them. The word is never used in reference to Christians, ever. Never used. There's no biblical basis for believing that a genuine Christian can be under the degree of control indicated by the word diamonitsamai. But here's the bottom line. The only reason why I go through this is that uh, some of us leave doors open and we assume that the enemy has more authority and power than he really does. Now he does have some power, and I'm gonna get into this in a second. He has some major power, but this he doesn't have. He can't take away our salvation, and he cannot, demons cannot indwell us. And I would just simply say this, don't give Satan or demons your gospel birthright by giving them more power and authority than they have. Remember our victorious Savior. We stand in victory. We are possessed by him. We're owned by him. Now, what can Satan or demons do to Christians? Second question. Don't you dare think that because you can't and I can't be possessed by the devil that that means he can't do much to us. He can do, and I use this term advisedly, some damnably awful things to us. Very bad stuff to us. Although we're not possessed by them, demons can oppress us, demons can harass us, demons can distract us, demons can make us ineffective. And demons have strategies to go after believers. He has strategies to interrupt us. And we can leave doors open in our lives. We'll see this in a moment as I click off some of the things that Satan can do to us. Oh, yeah. He can influence us, although he can't indwell us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Well, what are some of his designs for believers, for followers of Jesus? What are some of his designs? Uh, I, I want to give you 10 ways that Satan or demons can get to us. 
Now, these are 10 big ways. I, they're, they're, there's a truckload of other ways, but these are 10 banner ways in which Satan or demons can get to us. Let's just go through them. Number one is discouragement. Discouragement. The enemy can so blow disappointment out of perspective, you get discouraged, and before you know it, you're headed toward depression. Probably the ultimate classic illustration of this is Peter after he, after he betrayed the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus told Peter, Satan desires to sift you. This is another great illustration. It didn't mean I didn't, it just come to my mind right now. By the way, if Peter could have been possessed by a demon, then Jesus would have cast out the demon later on that caused him to deny him. But he didn't cast out any demon. Because the influence came from without, but it nevertheless influenced Peter to do the, one of the most awful things imaginable. But the moment he, he, he denied the Lord and the cock crowed, uh, Peter was broken, discouraged. And some of you here right now, your discouragement, yeah, it may be caused by some other factors in your life and, you know, this kind of thing, that's true. But don't discount the work of the enemy and you feeling discouraged and down. Secondly, fear, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Fear, it's a work of the enemy. He can, he can intimidate us. You ever been scared and you stop and think about it and you say, well, I'm afraid. Or have you ever been in a situation where something relatively minor on, a, on, a, on, a, on an otherwise normal day wouldn't, wouldn't rattle your cage and yet you get obsessed with it? Fear. The enemy uses fear to get us, to paralyze us. I think thirdly, he uses doubt and deception. That's Genesis chapter 3. Doubt and deception. To get you questioning reality. Get you doubting your salvation. Get you doubting circumstances. Get you doubting God's love for you. He deceives us. Fills our minds with three-fourths truths. Little lies gets us off course. I think number number four, Satan gets at us through sexual immorality. The whole category of things. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse five. I find in this one all of his resources sometimes are focused. And this is a particular special favorite weapon of our enemy. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, answering three questions about spiritual warfare strategy. The first one, what Satan can't do to us. The second, what Satan and his demons can do to us. And we'll continue to look at these ten ways next week. Winning the Battle, the title of today's message. The second half, next time. This is all part of Crawford's series, Unmasking Satan. Now, if you're finding this series to be particularly helpful, consider downloading it for future reference. It's free. Or if you need to get caught up on the previous two messages in the series, listen anytime at your convenience by way of the stream on our website. Now, to download the series, look for the MP3 link at livingalegacy.org, or to listen to past programs, look for that link at livingalegacy.org. We're always grateful when you let us know that you listen on radio or online. A quick email will help ensure that Crawford's teaching remains right here each week. LivingALegacy.org I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.